Today's scripture is from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing, continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in, in which righteousness dwells. This is the word of the Lord. Anybody do jigsaw puzzles? No one? Have you ever tried to do a jigsaw puzzle without the final picture? So there's a principle from the seven habits of highly effective people from Franklin Covey. And the second principle is this. Highly effective people begin with the end in mind. They see what the final picture should be and they work their life and all of it to it. It's like making a puzzle. If you don't have the final outcome, each piece doesn't make sense to you. But if you have the final picture, you know which, where the pieces go. So he says this in his book, if you don't make a conscious effort to visualize who you are and what you want in life, then you empower other people and circumstances to shape you and your life by default. I'm going to read that part again. I thought that was, this truth is God's truth because it's such a brilliant truth. If you don't make a conscious effort to visualize who you are and what you want in life, then you empower other people and circumstances to shape you and your life by default. He concludes, it's about connecting again with your uniqueness and then defining the personal, moral, and ethical guidelines within which you can most happily express and fulfill yourself. I share that because if you read 2 Peter chapter 3, what is Peter doing? He's asking us, begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end of the world in mind. Begin with the end of God's plan in mind. 
Don't let the world dictate who you are becoming. Don't let the antinomians, the heretics, the false teachers persuade you into thinking you're something else. And that's such a, that itself is such a great principle for us to walk with today. Who's shaping you? Who are you allowing to cultivate your decisions and your values? What, is, what forces are pushing at you? And if you're living your life for a career or calling for God, but then you get wearied and you forget the end and you're just thinking, I'm at school, I'm just doing job, I'm just trying to make money, and you forget the end, what happens? I don't think you're hopeless, but you're derailed. You're letting others shape you. I think this truth is true because it's God's truth. And God's calling you and me to be a people who has the end in mind. So Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, he begins with this thought. You need to know as I'm writing this, and I'm going to die in a few years. Maybe he wrote this in 64, and he supposedly died in 64, so his death is immediate. He's saying, think about the day of the Lord. How do I know that he's talking about the day of the Lord? Because he tells us in verse 10. Can we read it together? Here we go. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So how do we know he's talking about the day of the Lord? Because he tells us this is about the day of the Lord. The Jews have a very similar view of Christians in the end times. And the Jews have this view that there are two ages that we will live. The first age is the current age where it's messed up, it's broken, people are evil. The second age is called the golden age of God. Isn't that beautiful? Like the age where God is fully in control. And so the transition from this age to that age in between is the day of the Lord. Old Testament speaks of it. And Christians, it has it, they haven't hijacked it, but this is how Jesus is telling us. I will return. And the Christians, we interpret that as, oh, Lord, come. That's the day we go home. We just sang that in How Great Thou Art. When Christ shall come in adoration. And he brings us home. So that's the transition from this age to the final age where we're with the Lord. Now, I don't think we're going to go to heaven. The Bible tells us we're, God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. But either way, when the day of the Lord is the Lord's coming. So Peter is saying to the people, keep that in mind. Your job is not to just go to church and then die and have a nice retirement party. Well, the other way, you, you have a retirement party and then you die. Your job is not to just go to church. Your job is not to just live in America and have the American dream. Our end in sight is the Lord's coming and the whole kingdom is fully established completely. So he's telling us this because we have these people, scoffers. Now, who knows what a scoffer is? What's a scoffer? They literally scoff. Like, oh, you believe that? So a couple of years ago, well, let me read, read it for us. Uh, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. What are they scoffing about? Well, they're following their own simple desires. They will say... Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. What are they, you could hear the scoffing. They're, the scoffing is this. 
Uh, Jesus said he's coming back. Friends, it's been 30 years. Where's Jesus? Friends, it's been 30 years and Jesus hasn't come and the world looks fine to me. By the way, just as a side note, in six more years after this, the Jews thought the world was ending because Nero burned down the temple. When you burn down the temple for the Jews, that's where God is. They burned down God's house. So they thought that was the end of the world. Anyway, so the scoffers are saying, you know, what you guys believe may be a joke. Um, true story, I had dinner with a church, someone who became a church member so that I could baptize their child. And uh, I think the, the dad came to find out he didn't believe in any of this. He was just saying it to make the wife happy and get the child baptized. And one day we're having dinner and he says to me, he's just spilling, being honest, which I appreciated. And he said, quote, unquote, you don't really believe all this stuff about God, do you? Actually, you do because this is your job. I was shocked. You don't really believe this stuff about God, do you? But you have to because this is your job. So I took the water and threw it in his face and I took the spaghetti and I... <laughs> so I was shocked and I was appreciating that he was so forward and transparent. But I was surprised that there was a thought that I'm only believing in this because this is my job. And if this was my job... <laughs> I wouldn't probably be a pastor if it was for a job. I would rather stay in banking or doing something else. I became a pastor because I believe in this. I don't believe in this because I'm a pastor. I, I heard God's calling because I believe and I countered the living Christ. And I truly see him and believe that he died and rose again. I believe that nothing is more important in this world than to know Christ and to make Christ known. And so I was sharing this and... The scoffing was so real in the 21st century. Some of you may have family or friends or people who scoff. I just go to church. Uh, you, you could, Grandma, that's your thing. Your brother, that's, that's your thing. For me, I don't need to believe in this religious mumbo-jumbo. You guys are a bunch of hypocrites anyway. And then you say, join us. We have room for one more. <laughs> We're all hypocrites. And so scoffers insult because they don't believe in the promises of God and they want us to doubt, which is why Franklin Covey is saying, begin with the end in mind. Because if you lose focus of that, you might get derailed. So, scoffers do two things according to Peter. According to Peter, they deny God. Does God really exist? Is he, is he going gonna, gonna to show up? And they deny the promises of God. Uh, William Barclay, the commentator, says of, in this text, uh, in every case, the implication of the question is that the thing or person asked about does not exist. That's what the scoffers are saying. Their implication is, you, don't, you know why Jesus didn't come back? He doesn't exist. So that's the scoff. They're denying the presence of God. And Peter talks about that in the second chapter. They deny Christ. And we talked about that last week. We deny Christ not by saying, oh, Jesus doesn't exist. We deny Christ by forgetting he is in all and for all and everything through him we exist. So they say, where is your God? Where is his second coming? They deny Jesus' return. And so for us, it wasn't 30 years, but we're in the year 2023. 
It's been 2,000 years since Jesus promised he will return. How do you feel? Is he real? Is he going to come back? Because the second part of that denial is they deny God's work in this life. Verse 4, it tells us, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. What the scoffers are saying is this. I look at the world and everything is fine. I don't see anything wrong. God hasn't come and burned us up. This is all. You guys sure you believe Jesus is going to come back? That's what Peter is alleging that they're scoffing about. In other words, the world is running fine. Not perfect, but it's running fine. And I think that's why in 2020, the pandemic scared us because it was the first time the world stopped running. And there were like rumors about Jesus is coming. <laughs> school, we're not going to go to school. How many of you thought the pandemic was going to be over in a month? Be honest. And then maybe three months. And then it turned out to be we're still in it technically. Everything shut down. Kids were at home. Toilet paper was running out. Zoom started becoming like the most important thing in the world. So Peter responds to these scoffers. I love his response, and that's where I want to continue on. So he responds to those two allegations by scoffers in the most beautiful, brilliant way. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 5 through 7. So for they deliberately overlook this fact. He starts by addressing the second scoffing, that the world looks fine. And Peter says, they overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these, the world then, that then existed was deluged with water and perished. What is he referring to? Noah's flood. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. His response is brilliant. He's saying, did the world seem like everything's okay since the beginning of time? Did you forget what, she, what God did with Noah? He destroyed the whole world with a flood. But, whoa, he's going to do it again. But this time, not with water, but with fire. And that's the day of the Lord. And so the reason why you don't see it, friends, is not because God hasn't intervened. He has. Judgment has come, and the final judgment will come, but this time not with water, but with fire. And he's saying, your assumption is false. God did not leave the world at ease. He did show us a glimpse of his judgment, and it's frightening. Now, I don't want to do hellfire brimstone, but we don't do this part enough. The day of the Lord is scary for those who don't know Christ. Because for those of us in Christ, it's homecoming. It's like grandma's home. All well, the children run to grandma. But if you don't know this grandma, you're like, who is this person? And then she takes everybody else and leaves you outside. This is very frightening. And so Peter is saying, now exists stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly, those who have rejected God. So Peter says, you're wrong scoffers. God has come, but that's a glimpse of what he's going to do fully on that day when nobody will be spared who, who are not in Christ. Second point is a more practical one for us, and I think for us in 20, 21st century, Peter says in verse 8 and 9, but do not overlook this one fact. 
beloved. He uses beloved three times, by the way. This is why people are like, did Peter really write this? Peter was never this mushy. Beloved. I don't think I call my kids beloved. I call them number two, number three. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. How many of you were ever in like a near-death experience? Car accident, something happened, you fell down. What does, what does time seem like to you when you're in a car accident? Everything slows down. Like you see everything flying. Uh, in New Jersey, my friend was driving home from church, youth group. He got into a little race on the Garden State Parkway going 80 miles per hour. I was in 10th grade. He was in 11th grade. And the car cut him off, braked. My friend hit his brake, lost control. And on the Garden State Parkway going 80 miles per hour, we did three 360s across four lanes highway. We hit no other cars. We hit the railing with a back bumper. Then we hit the railing with the front bumper, and then we hit the railing again with the back bumper. That whole time, all the lights were like, oh, <laughs> it's just slow motion. <clears throat> and we walked out of the car and drove it home. And his dad was not happy when he woke up the next day and saw his car. It was like a Chevrolet Corsica, 1991, I think. Remember Corsicas? Anyway, something about adrenaline um, some people theorize that adrenaline pumps the brain so every sensory becomes more sharp and everything seems to slow down. Did time change? No, the time didn't change. But for us, our perception of time changed. I don't think it's in that way, but for us, the way we measure time, Peter is saying, and the way God views time are completely different. We don't see time as the way God does. For you, you could live 1,000 years. Some of you want to live 1,000 years, maybe. If you want to live 1,000 years to God, it doesn't matter to him. It'll all just be like as if it was one day. And for some of you, you live one day, and for God, it's like 1,000 years. I don't know what that means. But the point of this is we are in time. God is outside of time. That's why we call him the eternal one. That's why he's timeless. What is, what's Jesus' name in Revelation? He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is time. Like, he's outside of it. He's immortal. And so what Peter is saying here is this. When you make fun of us by saying it's been 30 years and Jesus didn't come, you need to keep this in mind. Jesus may not come for another 2,000 years. But to him, it's one day. For us, it feels like two millennia. So, so, so some of us were saying, wait, Jesus promised he'll return right away. It's been 2023. Why is he not here? I want to reassure you of this. God is not slow. God's time is different. So if you get scoffed at, yeah, Jesus is going to come back, whatever. Then you tell them, listen, thanks be to God. It's been 1,000 years or 2,000 years for us. Because God's timing is perfect. But thanks be to God for this. Why is God delaying? Because he is merciful. This God is a merciful God. 2 Peter 3, 9. Um, well, Psalm 90, verse 4 first. 
psalmist, I think Peter is borrowing from the psalmist. Let's read this verse together. For you, a thousand years are as a passing day, as brief as a few night hours. I think Peter is remembering learning this psalm as a Hebrew boy. And in 2 Peter 3.8, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. And so why is he doing this? Because he's merciful. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This has to be one of the most comforting verses for us. What kind of God do you worship? I know that the perception of the world is our God is judgmental. He hates, he hates the thieves, the rapists, the homosexuals. He hates the robbers. He hates Hitler. But he must like me because I'm sweet and adorable. No, if you know the Bible, no one's unscathed. God is going to bring judgment on all sinners on, because we're all evil. I love it when heterosexuals are like, oh, homosexuals are going to go to hell. And I said, did you read the Bible? <laughs> about fornicators, adulterers, those who lust, we're worse in many ways. I tell this to people. I don't think homosexuals are worse. I think we're worse. The point is we all are in trouble for the day of the Lord. But thanks be to God, we have a God who is merciful. We have a God who is slow in returning. Why? Because he, wants, he is waiting for those who are aware of this to repent. Um, Ezekiel 18.23 do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? Um, my Korean grandfather, I never met him, but my brother tells me legendary stories about him. Um, when he got in trouble, I was like a baby. My grandfather took out a whip. My cousin and my brother got in trouble. And they, they did something really bad. I don't know what, what it was. And they were like crying like, oh, I'm so sorry. And then grandfather, he was a pastor, and he takes the whip, and he goes, he whipped himself. They're like, what are you doing? And he was showing them, you know, I'm taking your punishment because I should have done a better job of guiding you. And they were like pouring, crying. They're like, no, grandpa, you know, forgive us. You shouldn't do that for us. And that burned in my memory. I'm like, gosh, I wish I was there to see him whip you. No, I didn't say that. Um, but I remember my brother telling me that story, and he was exhibiting Christ because my grandfather was a preacher in Korea. There was a punishment due. I'm going to take it for you because my job, my joy is not in punishing you, but in seeing you grow and turn from your ways. And what is the gospel? The gospel is not just simply there's a hell, but God will send you to heaven. That's not, the gospel is Jesus took your punishment for your sins. He absorbed it so he could give you freedom and release and forgiveness. This is our God. He does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. He does not desire your, your ex or your friends or your business partners who betrayed you to be punished. He's a God who sees them the same way he saw you and me. As somebody who he wants to heal. And so this is Peter reassuring them, keep the end in mind. This is our God. This is why we worship. This is why we go to church. This is why we're going to stay straight and true even in the midst of scoffers. God's ways are mysterious, but they're reliable. So I want to end this with this. 
he ends 2 Peter 3, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people should we be? What a great question. So how should we live? Enjoy ourselves, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die? I don't think that's the model of those who have witnessed an incredible God. For us, it's live holy and godly lives, waiting for the hastening and the coming day of the Lord. I asked uh, one of our kidsmen volunteer this morning, if this is the end, how should we live? And he said this, look forward to his coming. I said, amen. You know we are right with God when you look forward to his return. Church, are you ready for his return? I know you have like vacation planned and you, you got bought a new car or maybe you want to go see your grandchild, you know, get married. And there's so many great things. But if we are all in Christ, the end of it all and the most beautiful homecoming for us is to see the Lord's return. So I want to end with uh, Louis Giglio did a devotion on this. And I was like, you know what? He's such a better pastor in every way. So I want to share this with us in our final thoughts. Louis Giglio, he says this. Are you in the wilderness right now? Yeah, kind of. Prepare for the coming of the Lord for God's deliverance. God has not abandoned you. All of us are waiting on something, often wondering if God has forgotten us. Just because God hasn't come through as far as you can see, it doesn't mean he has abandoned you. To him, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. This very minute, God's working for his glory and for your good. Amen. Remember the scriptures from Romans 8.28, in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Those circumstances may say otherwise, God is going to come through on schedule Fulfilling his long-appointed plans for you, don't give up before the time is right. What an encouraging message for us who are living in different kinds of wilderness. God is working. And I, I'm not sure who said this, but I want to share this with you. Moses spent 40 years thinking he was something. Then he spent 40 years realizing he was nothing. Then he spent the last 40 years seeing what God can do with nobodies. God's timing is perfect. Wait on him. Keep the end in sight and be faithful and cling on to the promises of God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, this is a good word for us. Thank you for sharpening our end picture again, that we, that you don't exist for our end goals, but God, that we exist for your goals. That our lives are truly but a mist, they appear and they disappear, and it seems like forever at times, but Lord, to you a thousand years is like a day. And so we yield and surrender ourselves over to you, crying, even yelling and shouting at you, but we trust in your timing that you are a God who has not abandoned us who has not forgotten us and who has not turned off, you know, turned off his alarm clock and you forgot to return. But in your sovereign way, you are waiting for us to repent. You are waiting for us to do the work of sharing this good news, not to condemn the world, but to point them to the one who has taken their condemnation. God, help us to be a church in 2023 that could live this out, not just for personal piety, but to infect this world with this truth 
of a merciful God. So God, we cling to you. We, we see the end and we live with this hope. And it also encourages us that no matter what hardships come, we're reminded that you win in the end and that we are with you. So Jesus, take your place. Continue to shape us, mold us, and Lord, be glorified through all the good and the bad. This we pray in his most holy name. Amen.